0: The Composing Tap Dance podcast is a show about the process of creating music for tap dance and tap dance for music. Some episodes will comprise of audio essays, and others will consist of conversations between myself, Jacob Thede, a composer, and my wife, Ari Thede, a tap dancer. Please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com forward slash jacobthede. The link will be attached in the show notes you can contribute to a subscribe what you want model and pay as little as one dollar per month you will also gain access to our inner circle which includes unique and spontaneous perks chapter two composer choreographer collaboration in western classical music in the western art music canon composers have contributed numerous compositions for ballet Without collaboration between music makers and dance companies, timeless and innovative works like Nutcracker, Rite of Spring, and Appalachian Spring would not exist. However, many composition curricula, whether public or private, lack either collaboration with choreographers or even a comprehensive guide to music for dance. This chapter aims to provide a preliminary guide to different works for music and dance. It also demonstrates how composers can begin to immerse themselves into this collaborative culture. Many composer-choreographer relationships enter different music curricula, but are, at times, not discussed in detail. These relationships include Tchaikovsky with Reisinger, Petpa, and Ivanov, Stravinsky with vakalov Nijinsky, Aaron Copland with Martha Graham, Cowell with Martha Graham, and Cage with Merce Cunningham. Works by each of these composer-choreographer collaborations are divided into different creative processes. First, music first, dance second, then dance first, music second, then simultaneous creation, then isolated creation, and last but not least, improvisation. While other creative processes of creation and composition are available, these processes serve as a foundation for how composers and choreographers might collaborate. Section 1: Repertoire for Composer-Choreographer Collaboration. The following is a listening guide for various works and collaborations. This list is intended to accompany the brief descriptions of each collaboration. For the beginning composer, this list works, this list of works for dance provides an introduction to composer-choreographer relationships. Similar to a composition curriculum providing 20th century listening lists to cover a wide array of techniques and historical innovations, this list allows for composers to articulate and better understand music for dance. Additionally, this list allows the composer to see a transition and development of different dance genres. The first are three ballets by Tchaikovsky, Swan Lake, written in 1876, Sleeping Beauty, written in 1890, The Nutcracker, written in 1892. Each of these ballets, I will talk about who Tchaikovsky collaborated with. These include Julius Reisinger, Marius Petpa, and Lev Ivanov. After Tchaikovsky, I write about Stravinsky and his collaboration with Vladislav Nijenski. Written in 1913, Rite of Spring was the collaboration of the two. Last, I talk about Appalachian Spring, written in 1944, this was a composition by Aaron Copeland, collaborated with choreographer and dancer Martha Graham. Section two Tchaikovsky, Reisinger, Petpa, and Lev Ivanov. The ballet music of Tchaikovsky consists of three works Swan Lake, Opus twenty, written between eighteen seventy five and eighteen seventy six, Sleeping Beauty, Opus sixty six, written between eighteen eighty nine and eighteen ninety, and the Nutcracker, Opus seventy one, written in eighteen ninety two. For each of these he collaborated with either Marius Petpa, Lev Ivanov, or both simultaneously. Roland John Wiley notes some precedents and traditions of the composer-choreographer relationship in the 19th century. Other collaborators worked to the ballet master's order, and he enjoyed complete power of veto over them. Additionally, the, the cast of the ballet was just as important to the ballet master as the composer or librettist. If the principal dancer changed, typically a ballet master like Petpa would change the entire work and reshape it into something entirely different. This could be compared to how a composer might write for a specific performer. One difference is the music could exist in a written form. The preservation of dance in the form of a written notation was not universally created or accepted until Rudolf Le Bon, creator of Le Bon Notation, would copyright his Le bon Notation in 1928. It was because of these traditions, the ballet masters veto power and tendency to change based on performers that composers requested to know each detail of the ballet for which they were writing. If the composer composed one too many measures, the ballet master's choreography would be displaced. This is similar to the collaboration process between the composer and filmmaker. If the filmmaker changes any part of the film after submitting to the composer, the pacing of the music would be displaced by the alterations to the film. Tchaikovsky's first ballet, Swan Lake, took about one year to complete. The process reflects mostly a music first, dance second approach to collaboration, and Tchaikovsky received the commission in 1875, then completed the work on April 10, 1876. The choreographer for Swan Lake was Julius Reisinger, but very little is noted about their collaboration process. As it was his first ballet, Tchaikovsky studied the compositions, orchestrations, and ball- performances of ballet. As it was his first ballet, Tchaikovsky studied the compositions, orchestrations, and performances of ballet. With the libretto for Swan Lake, Tchaikovsky was given the outline story and the basic requirements for each dance. After the music was completed, Reisinger took 11 months to choreograph the ballet. Quote, some numbers were set aside as unsuitable for dancing or were replaced by numbers from other ballets, end quote. Before the performance of the work, the two continued to compromise and make changes to the music and choreography. In the end, Tchaikovsky would submit to the tradition of choreographer as master of the ballet. While composing Sleeping Beauty, it was important for Tchaikovsky to communicate and collaborate with Marius Petpa. The process for this ballet reflects a simultaneous composition process where composer and choreographer create together. Between 1888 and January 1889, Petpa delivered to Tchaikovsky a variety of instructions for the prologue in additions to act one, two, and three. By these instructions, Petpa had a clear vision for what he wanted to compose, but often would not provide the composer with clear direction for the music. For this reason, it is likely Tchaikovsky ignored various instructions of the choreographer. Roland John Wiley notes that, quote, with regard to the length of numbers, however, he often ignored Petpa's requests. Only in a handful of instances does the music correspond exactly to Petpa's specifications though many of the shorter dances approximate to them, especially if introductory measures are discounted. Nevertheless, there are some extraordinary disparities between the instructions and the score. Tchaikovsky did, as a rule, supply more music than Petpa requested, end quote. Despite these discrepancies between the composer and choreographer, the two often met to discuss details in the score. Contrasting with his first ballet, Swan Lake proved to be a much more involved collaboration. Petpa's daughter, Vera, recalled the frequent occasions the two would meet to collaborate. Quote, Peter Ilyich arrived at our house customarily in the evenings and played through his works in parts. And father listened and planned his dance fantasies in harmony with the music. Tchaikovsky's arrivals always brought us much joy, especially when the inspired sounds of his music were heard in our home. End quote. Peter Ilyich's younger brother, Modeste, noted that Pyotr requested to work with Maurice Petpa in the most exact way before embarking on the composition of the music. This most exact way consisted of the number of measures, character of music, and the amount of time for each number. Later in conversation with Veshevorsky, Tchaikovsky wrote, It is essential for me, before starting to compose, to discuss matters in detail with the ballet master. About November 1st, I shall be in Petersburg for a rather extended period, and during this time I shall meet and arrange matters with the ballet master concerning what is necessary, how, and when. After completing his opera, The Queen of Spades, Tchaikovsky wrote of beginning a third ballet in the spring of 1890. Modest noted that Piotr did not have a similar experience to Sleeping Beauty and The Queen of Spades, in which he felt an urge to compose. Modest's rationale for this assumption is that the material and subject of the note-cracker did not please him. Additionally, he noted that Piotr, quote, Grumbled at the directorate of the imperial theaters for inviting foreign singers to sing in French and Italian on the Russian operatic stage, end quote. Petpa's influence on the new ballet would be minimal as he fell ill and could not play an active role as the choreographer. In Petpa's place was Lev Ivanov. The collaboration of Nutcracker is strange because of the lack of correspondence between the composer and choreographer. Wiley notes that Tchaikovsky did not refer to Ivanov in any letter or contact. Likewise, Ivanov does not hint at his contributions with Tchaikovsky on Nutcracker or Swan Lake. Section three, Igor Stravinsky with Sergei Diaghilev and Václav Nijinsky. Igor Stravinsky wrote The Rite of Spring in collaboration with Vaclav Nijinsky in 1913. With respect to Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker, Stravinsky's rite sounds far removed in time, culture, and approach, despite being written only 20 years apart. The two collaborators work closely but created separately while adhering to a collective understanding of the work's sound and feel. The creation of the two artists, in addition to Diaghilev's con- contributions, ignited a spark for a fire in the modernist movement in music and dance. The music is well known for its motivic simplicity using short segments and phrases while also adhering to complex rhythmic passages. Nicholas Rourke with Stravinsky provided the libretto for the choreo drama. Near completing the Firebird, Stravinsky began ideas for his next ballet. He wrote at the end of March in 1910, quote, I wanted to compose the libretto with N.K. Rorich Rorich, because who else could help? Who else knows the secret of our ancestors' close feeling for the earth?" The completion and premiere of The Firebird gave both Stravinsky and Diaghilev confidence for a new work to follow. He wrote to Rorich in July of 1910 that the feat of the work encouraged Diaghilev for future projects and that, quote, sooner or later, unquote, they would have to tell him of the Great Sacrifice. Because of Diaghilev's strained relationship with Michel Fouquin, the choreographer of the Firebird, Stravinsky delayed presenting his ideas on the right. In fact, in 1910, Diaghilev and Nijinsky met with Stravinsky in Switzerland. Though he wrote music for The Great Sacrifice, he played not the music of the right, but the music from the second tableau of Petrushka. The work would not be commissioned until July, 1911. The collaboration between Nijinsky and Stravinsky can be summarized as a simultaneous composition. Nijinsky Nijinsky writes of the collaboration that, at times, I collaborate with the composer, as in Le Sacre du Printemps by Stravinsky. In fact, we created it together, and the music and ballet were composed together. They were born at the same time. I prefer to dance to modern music, of course. I love and admire the older music like Chopin, Schumann, but I respect it as I respect my parents, from whom I always feel distant, as well as ahead of them. Modern music is, quote, my music, unquote. In general, it is the music which suggests the ballet to me, and then I put all of my energy into choreographing the dance according to the idea and the spirit of the music, in such a manner that the ballet does not appear to be stuck onto the music, but instead is propelled by the music So Stravinsky had similar sentiments for Nijinsky as choreographer after Nijinsky married in Buenos Aires, and fearful Diaghilev would leave the dancer behind, Stravinsky wrote with regard to his work that, quote, For me, the hope of seeing something valuable in choreography has been removed for a long time to come, unquote. One month after the premiere performance of The Rite, Stravinsky wrote that Nijinsky's choreography, quote, is incomparable and, with a few exceptions, everything was as I wanted, unquote. The simultaneous spirit can be seen and heard as the music and original choreography mold so well together. In fact, the right, as a whole, was a near complete intermediate success in terms of audio-visual experience. Everything from set design, orchestration, movement, clothing, and narrative was well thought out in advance. In London, the Times noted how, quote, even the colors of the dresses are to some extent reflected in the orchestration, as, for instance, in the first scene, when a group of maidens in vivid scarlet huddles together to the accompaniment of closely written chords on the trumpets. Unquote. They cite how Nijinsky joins hands with the likes of Jacques Dacroze with the rhythmic and contrapuntal movements of the choreographer. However, years later, in 1936, Stravinsky conveyed that Nijinsky could not communicate with the composer and that he made the process problematic by clumsiness or lack of understanding. For the composer, it was Nijinsky's lack of musical training that sparked such a comment. This is is an important note for composers collaborating with choreographers. Dancers will inevitably vary in their experience with music. While this factor may create division, it is necessary that the composer and choreographer compromise and negotiate all matters. Nijinsky collaborated with the musician Emile Jacques Delcroze in November 1912 while choreographing the rite. It was with Delcroze, the inventor of Eurythmics, that Nijinsky found methods to set the asymmetric rhythmic groupings of Stravinsky's music. Eurythmics is the study of how the body understands time, tempo, meter, and rhythm through conscious and subconscious movement. Diaghilev hired Marie Ramford, one of Dalcroze's best teachers. While the dancers were lazy to act, wanting to, quote, show off their beauty and the grace of their arms and legs, unquote, Ramford allowed Nijinsky to create compelling choreography that would encapsulate music visualization. Charles Joseph describes the controversial choreography as the musical equivalence of Stravinsky's defiance of traditional musical structures, quote, Just as Stravinsky's music confronted the fundamental concepts of rhythmic symmetry and motivic development, so too did Nijinsky defy the sacrosanct principles of classical dance. Section 4. Aaron Copland with Martha Graham. While there is no scarcity of resources written and reflected on Appalachian Spring or other works by Aaron Copland and Martha Graham, this summary aims to provide a succinct description of the interactions and collaboration of the two artists. The title of the work comes from Graham's inspiration of a poem by Hart Crane. In conversation with Copland, she remarks, quote, it really had nothing to do with the ballet. I just like the title, In 1930, Graham danced the role of the chosen in Stravinsky's Le Sacre du Printemps, which was then choreographed, not by Nijinsky, but by Leonid Massine. As early as ni- September 1942, Copland came into contact with Graham through the-, the Coolidge Foundation's commission. It took an additional year to formulate a collaboration. In the 1930s, she had already created choreography to pre-existing works by composers like Carlos Chavez's Prelude, Darius Milhaud's Danza, Copland's Piano Variations, Paul Hindemith's Don Stuck and Eiter Villalobos titled Dolorosa by Graham with various music by the composer in 1931. In addition to choreographing music by Copeland between 1942 and 1944, Graham concurrently created scripts and choreography to works by other composers including Darius Mio, Carlos Chavez, and Paul Hindemith. The collaborative process for Appalachian Spring reflects more of a simultaneous composition style, due to the number of revisions between Copeland and Graham. This fact is supported by the nature of communication between the composer and choreographer in the 1940s. Because of the logistics of mail, the score and choreography would have to be conceived independently. The creation process altogether consisted of four different parts correspondence and script, thematic sketches, piano score and chore- choreography, and final revisions. The first part involved 11 months where Graham and Copeland wrote letters. When Copeland received portions of script from Graham, he would send back revisions or rejections of material. Upon receiving this final script, Copeland created a highly programmatic score. The orchestration of Appalachian Spring would not be finite until weeks before the premiere. Until then, Graham choreographed to the piano reduction by tailoring the movement to highly rhythmic motives of the work. It is perhaps because of the abstract nature of Appalachian Spring that the work has been considered so successful. While the choreography provides a sort of narrative that ebbs and flows, in the music between different rhythmic and emotional styles it does not necessarily depict concrete sounds. While Graham may have been influenced by the rhythmic motives of Copeland's music, the movement tends to hint at visualizing the music. The music is the same. Because the two were created independently, the music does not visualize the movement. The lack of exact mickey mousing is noteworthy because of the technique's rise in popularity in the 1930s and 1940s. Mickey Mousing is synchronized, parallel, or mirrored scoring. It is a technique in film or animation that syncs the music with the action on screen. For example, if a character on screen uses a hammer, the orchestration might reflect the sound with a break drum or other metallic instrument. Copeland was well aware of Graham's choreographic style and attempted to create music that reflected her unique movement. He says, When I wrote Appalachian Spring, I was thinking primarily about Martha and her unique choreographic style, which I knew well. Nobody else seems quite like Martha. She's so proud, so very much of herself. Since she does have such a recognizable style, it was not at all that difficult to reflect her spirit and atmosphere in musical terms. When creating the movement to any music, Graham was well aware of how influenced she was by the rhythm and the theme of music. It would not be uncommon for her physical work to begin without music or sound. Demille notes that Graham has said that she was governed by music. There would be quite often a struggle between the pattern of movements already created and the pattern of music when combined, but eventually they reconciled. Quote, she found the stage of the composition invigorating, the music adding color and accent to the already established design. Unquote. Graham's process for choreographing can be found in the correspondences between herself and Coolidge. She clarifies that the main motives and ideas are not in the movement or steps themselves, but the in, in the idea and the action. Quote, The reason I have worked this way is that I find I only do things well when I can feel my way into them as a dancer, unquote. She also spoke of vivifying the music and dropping the script entirely when the music arrived. For Graham, the story matters very little or not at all in comparison to how the music assumes a life of its own, she says. This perspective on music and dance, two time-based art forms, abandons narrative for the abstract nature of sound and movement. By relying so heavily on abstract ideas and st- straying away from concrete sound and movement, Graham and Copeland were able to create works which stand the test of time. The premiere of Appalachian Spring took place on October 30, 1944 in Washington, D.C. alongside compositions by Paul Hindemith and Darius Mio. The featured roles were danced by Gr- Graham as the bride, Merce Cunningham as the revivalist, May O'Donnell as the pioneering mo- woman. Reviews of the premiere and subsequent performances describe the experience from multiple perspectives. Harriet Johnson of the New York Post stated that the chore- choreography was at times difficult to understand, but stunning, like, quote, a whole series of short, angular sentences that make you sit up and take notice through the power of the subject matter, Unquote. After the premiere, Graham made changes to the choreography because of her feeling that the work had certain cracks and holes. Ultimately, Graham was impartial to whether or not her works would stand the test of time. There exists a video recording of the original choreography of Appalachian Spring. However, she has not been known to be opposed to any notation of her works. In a, New York, in a New York Magazine article describing her views on documentation, Graham is noted as not so concerned with whether her dances will live on, but rather focused on the ideas and principles of the movement passing into the stream of dance. This difference in opinion greatly differs from the general vantage point of the composer. Musicians tend to worship the written score. Graham however understood her work to be more ephemeral and open to differences in recreation. Section 5 Practices for Collaboration Similar to how the composer is solely responsible for effectively and efficiently communicating their ideas to the choreographer. The choreographer should learn ways and methods of communicating and understanding ideas of the composer. Nijinsky sought help from Rampert and applied methods of Eurythmics. Today, a choreographer might listen and study music suggested by the composer to better understand their ideas. Figure 2.1 is a flow chart for collaboration between composer and choreographer. Based on the miscommunication between Stravinsky and Nijinsky, it details how the composer and choreographer can strive for better communication. The chart serves as a preliminary guide to the collaborative process from the beginning to the end. At the inception of the creative idea, the collaborator should express their idea by a variety of means. Words are only a starting point. The use of words to describe sound or motion, while numerous, can be limiting, especially if the musician or dancer is limited in their knowledge of the other art form. By using pre-existing documentation in the form of recordings, video, or both, the artists can better understand the goal of their respective collaborator. Additionally, the musician or choreographer are able to demonstrate or perform their ideas. After these ideas are expressed, the two collaborators must come to a conclusion of whether they are understood or not. If they are in agreement, the project can begin. If they are not in agreement, the two should find new methods of expressing their ideas. This process cycles back to the expressing these new ideas, and once again making sure they are in agreement before putting the metaphorical and or literal ink on the page. Once the composition has begun, the collaborators must engage in continuous, ongoing com- communication. While communicating, the artist should provide samples, share new ideas, and other miscellaneous changes to the original ideas. These are shared throughout the creat- creation process. There can be as many checkpoints as the two artists desire or feel needed. It is recommended that the composer and choreographer come together in three sections, the beginning, middle, and end of the work. If the collaborators find they disagree with the material the other has provided, they must discuss to uncover where there was miscommunication. Three guiding points to discuss can involve identifying expectations, unmet goals, and and fulfilled expectations. Ideally, by thoroughly recognizing the other's outlook, the artist can find the solutions. By asking whether these expectations can be achieved, the two can proceed with the possibilities. In our own experience collaborating, Ari and I explored a variety of methods to create and choreograph original music for the digital tap dance live set. These included composing the music and later choreographing this dance, simultaneous composition, and elements of improvisation. Upon reflecting on our collaborations, we often found that if there was any conflict throughout our creative process, it was because of our lack of communication or miscommunication. While we spoke a common language, our vocabulary differed. I learned to not only use my musical vocabulary, as she did not did have some experience and knowledge using terms specific to music, I also used terms which had concrete meaning. One such example of conflict was unearthed when describing how we each wanted a specific part of, in other words, the piece, to sound. While I described my intention to be light and minimal, she understood those words to mean soft, sparse, and underwhelming. From my perspective, I was influenced by the co- cross-genre music of composers like Sarah Kirkland Snyder or Caleb Burhans. While the music of these composers is minimal in form and structure or light and, r- and rhythmic complexity, both have... P- Pieces which exhibit the, the opposite of elements like soft, sparse, and underwhelming. These are intense, jagged, and overwhelming. Because of these differences in interpretation and in style, we had many conversations and reflections on what we mean when we use specific terminology. Additionally, we shared many different audio and video resources um, that could be used and shared to better understand what we were meaning. Much conflict and misunderstanding can be overcome by simply over-explaining and articulating what your words really mean. I believe these conversations should be at the root and foundation of any collaboration. These differences in understanding the word world can be found in most intermedia collaborations which might involve music. These are choreography, film, sculpture, visual art, photography, and more. As a composer, I have found that collaborating with choreographers shares many similarities with collaborating with filmmakers. Some filmmakers, like choreographers, have little to no experience with music. The composer cannot assume their collaborator will understand their musical terminology and often must rely on symbol terminology and or musical examples. Based on my collaborations with Ari, I suggest sharing and comparing with different specific timbres rather than melody, key signature, chord progression, and others. While collaborators might care how certain musical modes, key signatures, or corporations might sound, I have found these characteristics are secondary to specific timbres which filmmakers or choreographers may or may not be familiar with or want. Section 6 Conclusions The composers and choreographers discussed in this chapter served as a preliminary study for collaborators. After sufficient study of these works and collaborations, I suggest Further research on contemporary composers and choreographers. Examples of such works include collaborations of multimedia works by John Cage and Merce Cunningham, as well as very recent electronic ballets like Ashley Fu- Fuhrer's Ply-, Ply, in collaboration with IRCOM and choreographer Yuval Pick. Overall, the study serves as a starting point for collaborators to begin communication and then venture into the world of contemporary music and dance.